you've heard it so often. You've probably heard verses, what, 23 to 26 every second month for as long as you've been in the church. But hopefully we're going we're gonna to pick out exactly what Paul is dealing with here. And I want to suggest to you that, that we in some ways do a disservice to Paul and to the Bible and to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, when we, when we read just that paragraph from chapter 11 because um, context is so important. Context is vital. In James chapter 2, verse 14, James writes to the church and he says, Brothers and sisters, what good is it if you say you have trust? When you, when you see the word faith, um, it, 99% of the time it means trust. What good is it if you have faith or trust, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of trust save anyone? And he goes on to explain there that, that if we say we follow Jesus, John says the same thing in one of his letters. If we say we love Jesus, but we hate each other, we prove ourselves to be liars. This is what we're, we're dealing with today as we come to the Lord's Supper in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've got a situation here where the Corinthians, well, there's some amazing things happening in this church. There are some on-fire Christians. There are, we're going to come in the next few weeks, we're going to come and hear about how God is giving them gifts and abilities and they're doing all these wonderful things and, and the church is growing in, in some areas and, and it's just, there's, there's good stuff happening in the Corinthian church but, but at the very same time, Paul is concerned because he looks at them and he says, it looks to me a little bit like you are experts in talking the talk and you're useless in walking the walk. You can speak Christian but you don't seem to do Christian. You don't seem to be Christian. And, and the problem that he picks up, and it's a big problem in the church there, is, is, is in particular when they get together to have the Lord's Supper. So when they get together to, to eat a meal, back in those days you'd have a full-on meal, and then towards the end of the meal you'd, you'd get together and you would share um, the sacraments, you'd share the elements, you'd share the bread, and you'd share the wine. But for Paul, the problem is that as the church got together to do this moment of remembering Jesus' love for us and his death for us and the fact that he died and rose again and the fact that he's coming back, this, this most wonderful central moment that brings everything of the, of the Christian trust into its center, this moment, this wonderful moment, the Corinthians are getting together and there's just a horrid taste in their mouths. Have you ever been to a place where you, you're expecting it to be wonderful and you leave just feeling, ah, oh, could have done without that today? That's what we're talking about. Hopefully not too many of you come to church and leave going, oh, could have done without that today. That's the issue. Instead of speaking out the truth of the good news. The Corinthian church was acting out a drama of 
division and disunity and prestige and pride. <coughs> the problem is not that they're not meeting together. The problem is that they are failing to be God's people when they meet together. They're not the body of Christ. They are a pile of arms and a pile of legs and a pile of eyes and they're divided. In fact, what does Paul say exactly there in 17? Your meetings do more harm than good. He goes on and he says over there, I hear there are divisions among you and I believe it a little bit. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Now, there's two ways to look at verse 19 there. Paul, and part of me really likes this way, and I think there's an element of truth to this. Paul is not above a little bit of sarcasm. He looks at the Corinthians, he says to them, oh yes, of course you're divided. After all, you want to make sure that the really important people, the really godly people stand out. There's another thing that Paul writes there. He says, you know what? It is actually true that there will be divisions in the church. It's inevitable. There will be divides. But they're not a good thing, but, but they are an inevitable part of the kingdom of God coming. Because Jesus even spoke about the fact that, that as the kingdom of God, as the day of Jesus' return, when he makes everything new, draws nearer, as that moment comes, there are divisions that are made between those who are God's people and those who are not. But the problem in, Cor in Corinth is not, is not that they are dividing and showing who is God's people. Paul looks at them and goes, there are divisions, and I look at that and I see who aren't God's people. I look, at, I look at these divisions and they're showing up, yes, that there are some people who are not living as followers of Jesus. And that's a, a major deal for Paul. The problem there is, is that this meal had become a sign of probably the social divides. Paul says there that the rich get there and they... They start early and they finish last probably and they get drunk. And the, the poor get there and they are lucky to get a scrap of food. So what we got here is the, the social lines in society being blurred inside the church. It was popular in society back then if you were wealthy and rich to, to maybe share a little bit with the poor. But you made sure that they knew that you were being magnanimous and better than them. Most of the churches back then, they didn't meet in a hall or a, or a church building. They'd meet in a house. Now, if you think about a house, the dining room in those houses could maybe hold 20, 30 people. And then everyone else would be outside in the courtyard. Now, I'm willing to bet that the rich people, the friends of the homeowners, would get there and sit inside at the nice table. You know, decorations, vases. I don't know why a vase looks like that. Decorations and flower pots and beautiful meals and they'd all share together. And if you were a servant or if you were a slave or you were just a worker had to earn your own living, you'd arrive late, you'd sit outside, you'd scrounge for something. That's what happened in society at large. That, it seems, is what was happening in the church 
at Corinth. And Paul looks at this and he is so mortified by it because, because he looks at it and says to them, you know, when you are eating like that, when there are such divisions in your church, what are you doing? You're not doing anything to do with the Lord's Supper. You're, you, it, it's just, it's, it's not His Supper. It's not His Supper. Verse 22, he says to them, if you behave like this, you are, you are bringing disgrace on the church of God. God's church is being disgraced by you. People are looking in and saying, what a wonderful church of believers. Oh, look, the rich people are getting it in there as well. It pays to be rich and a Christian. Paul even says, you are despising the poor, whom Jesus in particular called blessed. And Paul laments the fact that they are dividing between the better people and the worst people. Which is all very well, but Corinth is far from here, and this is far from us in time. And we have moved on, very much so, haven't we? And we, we don't divide people according to their social status and wealth, do we? We have, we've got our fair share of millionaires in the church, and we've got our fair share of beggars, don't we? You go to America, you get in the same suburb a black church and a white church. Go to Australia, you have in the same town an Aboriginal church and a WASP, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant church. You have wealthy churches, you have poor churches, and then you come inside the churches and you find that the capacity to divide is endless. We're doing the Lord's Supper today. I've mentioned before, I've been in churches where they look at you and they go, um, you're not actually a member of this congregation, so you're not allowed to take the Lord's Supper. Been in churches where they have said, you are not married, and so therefore you're not allowed to lead a Bible study group. Been in churches where, well, you know, if people, just think of anything. If, if you don't agree with my stance on woman in ministry, if you don't agree with my stance on what songs we should be singing, if you don't agree with what I think about God, my theology, then, well, actually, sit in the children's table because the adults are busy over here. If you don't believe exactly what I believe, then I'm a better Christian than you. Um, this, this week, over in America, they had a very sad debate between Ken Ham of the Creation Museum and Bill Nye, the science guy. And I say it's a sad debate because they were just stereotypes of their different positions. But the thing which, regardless of your position on creation science, the thing which irritates and upsets me about Ken Ham is that he is very happy to debate non-Christians, but he refuses to debate Christians who disagree. 
and you look at that and you go, wonderful. Let's share communion. Paul looks at these people in the Corinth and I think he would look at us today. You know, I, I think we as a church at the moment are, are not too bad on division. We've been there though, haven't we? And it's not far from there again, ever. When my pride sticks up, when my arrogance becomes raised, we lift walls of divisiveness. I think that's why we need passages like this to, to help us prevent these problems and to deal with them when they arise. Paul's dealing with it. He looks at the Corinthians and he says, you know what, I want to tell you actually what it is that you're doing. When you come together and you share a meal, when you share a love feast, when you share the Lord's Supper, this is what, this is what actually is happening there. We're not going to go into all the details because we could be busy for three years explaining communion. Paul says in verse 24, verse 23, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks. And having given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I think what we learn from this chapter and there's a little bit in chapter 10 when Paul writes about communion. As we come to the Lord's table in a very real way the past comes into the present. We're not just going to be eating bread and we're not just going to be drinking grape juice or wine in in a spiritual way Jesus is present here and what he did as he hung on the cross as he was raised from the dead that event is telescoped right here right now right in this place Because we remember what Jesus did for us. And we remember the reason he did it. He did it to bless us, to make us right with the Father. Paul says, do this in remembrance of me. Sorry for grammar. Do this is in the present continuous tense. Which means... We can also put it, keep on doing this. Because don't do it once and then stop, but keep on doing this. Why? Because we need to remember why it is that we are right with Jesus and right with God. Because, I don't know about you, but me, I need to remember what Jesus said. I need to remember his life. I need to remember his teaching. I, I need to remember the fact that he is alive again. 
I need to remember the fact that because he died and rose, I have hope. I need to remember that, that because of Jesus, God's purposes for the world are coming true. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He looks at them and he says, I am so disappointed because you guys are divided when you're supposed to be remembering the thing that brings you together. You're supposed to be remembering and reflecting on the good news of God. And he goes on and Jesus um, takes the cup after supper and he blesses it and he gives thanks and he says, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. Now if you know your, your Old Testament, well if you don't I'm going to tell you, in the Old Testament the story is the story of God choosing a people and saying to them, I will be your God, you will be my people. I will save you. I will rescue you. And in return, we'll, we'll make this agreement. We'll make this covenant. And, and, and I will be for you. And you will be for me. And you will follow after me. And you will be my people for the sake of the world. And Jesus says, Paul, when he drank that cup, when he died on that cross, when his blood was poured out, it was the signing and the sealing and the enacting of a new agreement whereby God says, through Jesus, on that cross, He looks at you and He looks at me and He says, I will be your God. Will you be my people? Will you trust me? I've already done it. This is always the way God works. He did it in the Old Testament, when he rescued Israel from Egypt, he brought them out, crossed the Red Sea. He stood them there. He said, right, I've rescued you. I am your God. Will you be my people? Joshua, the successor to Moses, as they were going into the land, what did he say to them? Choose now. You're for God, you're against God. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But choose now. God's rescued us. God's done it. God's got the agreement there. It's ready. It's done. It's signed. It's sealed. It's delivered. Are you going to go with it or not? And Paul looks at the Corinthians and he looks at them and he says, Friends, Jesus on the cross, his blood, signed, sealed, delivered. And when we share in the Lord's Supper, when we share in communion together, we're not just reminding ourselves about it. We are, in our actions, supposed to be, and hopefully, announcing what Jesus has done. I mean, we, we could do nothing else except read the bit from the gospel or the bit from here. Read the gospel passage of the last meal where Jesus instituted the supper. Read the next chapter where Jesus died on the cross and the chapter after that where he rose from the dead. Break bread. 
drink the cup, go home. Because that's the sermon. If you go home today going, I have no idea what Nick said, but wow, Jesus is incredible. Paul says that's the point. You're supposed to go home going, wow, isn't God great? And he looked at the Corinthians and says, actually you're going home going, wow, isn't Alan the most horrible person? He ate all of the food and he got drunk. I can say that because I know Alan wouldn't eat all the food and I know Alan probably wouldn't get drunk. His wife says, definitely. But that's what was happening in Corinth. Communion is when the past, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus comes into the present, but it's also the time when the future is telescoped into today. Because Jesus says to them, do this in remembrance of me and all of this, but, but also do it until I come again. I don't think there'll be communion in the new heaven and the new earth. But until that day, every time we share the body and the blood of Jesus. What we are saying, what we are reminding ourselves of, is that we have a hope for the future. And our hope rests on the past, but it is a hope for the future. And it's not just about me. I mean, yes, it's supposed to remind me personally about what Jesus has done and about what he will do. And it's supposed to bring back all of the things, why I trust him, why I hope in him. It's supposed to do that for me. But, but, but communion, if it's all about me, then I'm missing the point. It's the Lord's Supper. It's about him first most. But when God signs, seals, and delivers the new agreement, he does it on behalf of God on the one side and His new people on the other side. The covenant, the agreement that God makes through Jesus' death is an agreement with us. With us. And so for me to take these elements, these things that are meant to remind me of this agreement with us and for me to gobble away at it while I'm having an incredible fight with Val and we're just angry at each other and we've been rude and I've slammed the phone down on her. We haven't, by the way. And she's, she's yelled at me so that I've heard her from my house all the way from her house. If I then come in and I sit and I hand her the communion cups and we both drink and then we leave this afternoon and ah! Paul looks at them and he goes, you guys are nuts, Corinthians. What are you doing? That's ridiculous. Forget fighting. What if you're belittling someone or, or speaking about them or gossiping about them or, or just angry at them? I mean, in Christ, because of what Jesus has done, because we are in this one agreement, we are brothers and sisters. We are heirs with Jesus. In Christ, we are equals. And if I am following Jesus, <coughs> then I should be seeking to behave as Jesus would. He gave his life for all people. 
for the Corinthians in particular, Jesus didn't favor the rich, didn't favor the powerful, but, but he sacrificed himself for the helpless and the ungodly. And so when I come to the Lord's Supper, in a sense, I remember Jesus laying down his life for us. And I look at you and I say, am I willing to lay down my life for Graham or for Glennis or for John or for Mark or for, for either any of you? As I come and drink and eat, if I look at you and I go, wow, Eddie, I just wish you would burn in hell. <coughs> I've got no right to be drinking that cup. I've got no right to be drinking that body. The issue here, says Paul, is drinking and eating in an unworthy manner. Verse 27. Does that mean that if our lives aren't perfect, we can't take part? If I've had a little tiff with Mark, I'm not allowed communion? It doesn't mean that. Does it mean that if I can think of a way that I don't measure up, and don't get me started because I can think of lots of ways. If I can think of a way that I don't measure up, does that mean that I can't take the Lord's Supper? No. And the good news of God is that, that He saves us and gives us Himself as a gift. That it's not deserved. And and if I start saying I don't deserve it, I'm looking at God and going, well, thank you for the gift, but I'll pay you for it. On the other hand, just taking part in communion doesn't make you right with God. And there are people in the world today who, who think like that. Maybe not fully fleshed out thoughts but I've done communion I'm fine God's got me sorted until I remember that Judas who betrayed Jesus first at supper with him and drank the cup and ate the bread I think the Gospels give different times of when he leaves, but what is clear is that Jesus ate with Judas. The last meal, the last supper, with the one who would betray him. I think what Paul says when he says we need to not eat in an unworthy manner is, am I coming here and treating this as magic, this will make me right with God. Or, as some of the Corinthians were doing, am I coming here and acting as if God doesn't really care what I do? Am I coming here and not loving my brothers and sisters? 
am I coming here and acting in a way which is totally opposite to the way Jesus acts? Paul says actually in verse 29, he says, you know what, the, the way to avoid God's judgment in this is to discern the body. And, and that means two things. It means recognizing that, that in a special way Jesus is present. Um, that's a sermon in itself. How is Jesus present? But suffice to say that this is not just any other meal. I mean, it's easy for us to just... And, and just put food and drink in our bodies. But if we do that, go and eat at home or after church. There's some stuff there. If this is just bread and juice to you, the other thing is is not discerning that we are the body. Yes, we are eating the bread which which symbolizes and which um, portrays his body. But in the other way, we are ourselves the body of Christ. And when we eat together, we are powerfully proclaiming that we are united in Jesus. (laughs) But if we divide the room and we divide the guests, we powerfully proclaim the exact opposite. Paul's point is that we actually encounter God in communion. And so we should examine ourselves or we should be wary of of God's discipline. Paul takes this whole issue in Corinth so seriously that he looks at them and says, you know, there there are some people who are sick and who have actually died because of this. But Paul looks at that and he says, you know what? But the reason God does that, the reason is that God disciplines. There is, there is a day coming. When we, when we take the elements, when we eat the bread and drink the juice, remember we said that it telescopes the future into today? Now that future day which it telescopes is the day of judgment. Is the day when God will, will stand and all people will be before him and he will judge the living and the dead. But as Christians, that day is telescoped in fact it was telescoped right to the cross and the resurrection and it's telescoped in again to us today and we drink and we eat and we know that we have already been judged in Jesus and we've already been declared to be right in God's sight in Jesus and our God as he telescopes that day and he still comes in and he says you know what I want you to actually live out who you are And so, if you are my followers and you're treating each other like scumbags, I'm going to do something about it. Not because I'm angry with you, but because I love you. And I'm slightly annoyed that you don't love me as much as you claim you do. The logical conclusion, says Paul, for the Corinthians is, just wait for each other at mealtimes. And if you're hungry... Have your meal at home. (coughs) Go to the ladies' Bible study. And have scones. (laughs) I I can't just say to you, I'm a Christian. 
I can't just do a few Christian things. Including I can't just take bread and wine. <coughs> Unless what I say and what I do shows who I really am. Uh, if, if I really am a Christian, it will be visible in the way that I interacted with you guys. Jesus once looked at his friends and he said, by this will people know that you are my followers, my disciples, the ones who learn from me. They'll know that you're mine if you love one another. Do we love one another? It's because God loves us. We're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us. As we do that, the, the Sunday school is going to be coming back. What I want to invite you to do is, we're in upside-down service today. The Lord's Supper speaks of unity, speaks of all that Jesus has done. If you are a believer... If you trust Jesus, if you want to trust Jesus, what I, what I would ask that you do is that you make your way up to the front. And as you stand up here, don't take a drink and a piece of bread for yourself. This is after the song. Take a piece of bread Take a drink and give it to the person behind you and tell them what it is that you are thinking about and encourage them. Now this is going to be outside the comfort zone. If you're the kind of person that just does not want to speak to anyone, feel free to take for yourself. I'm not going to force you to share. But if you think that you can encourage someone else and as the music plays, would you, if you feel like you want to remember and you want to shout to God, yes, God, thank you. Come up to the front. Share with someone else. Share with yourself. Brothers and sisters, you have been in the presence of the past and the presence of the future. We have remembered what he has done and what he has promised to do. And we've done it together as his people. Now may you go secure in the knowledge that he whom you trust is sure and trustworthy. That he will not let you stumble or fall. That he will be a light for your path. That he will be a guide for your life. May he bless you and keep you. And may you be aware of his face shining upon you. May you know even a fraction of the joy of his love and his forgiveness. Amen.